Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. On July 11th, 2020, Yamnuska claimed yet another life. A hiker slipped on the scree, fell 20 feet, and then was struck in the head by rocks that came tumbling after him. A tragic loss on a mountain that's famous for its beauty as well as its brutality. Injuries and accidents on Yamnuska go back as far as people have been heading up there to hike and climb, said Brandon Pullen, editor-in-chief of the Gripped magazine. There's no denying it. There's a lot that can go wrong. It just takes one loose rock or a foot to slip. On the very same day, on a different section of the trail, the shifting scree of Yamnuska injured two more hikers. Alberta Parks warns people that there's a high risk of rock fall there, advising against inexperienced hikers. Many have been lost, seriously injured, or even died on the Mount Yamnuska Scramble, their website reads. You ever hiked on Scree? You ever been in a place on the mountains where all of a sudden it's moving underneath your feet, feeling the loose ground and shale shift? Maybe you have. Maybe you've had that experience where there's an urge to either run faster or maybe even enjoy the ride or just try to stand still to find firm footing. It's a weird feeling. It's kind of cool and kind of scary. How do you find solid footing when those rocks start sliding? When the ground itself seems like it's slipping away from us and we need firm footing, we need guidance on how to get to safety, and maybe advice for avoiding further dangers. Well, shifting scree, I think, is a good metaphor for how many of us feel today. It kind of feels like we've all been hiking on unstable ground, doesn't it? Whether it's in our family life, broader society, what's going on with COVID, what's happening economically, politically, ideologically, theologically, in the church, in our schools, in our businesses, all around us, it feels so unstable. The earth itself seems to be shifty. And the way forward, uncertain, and we're all searching for a solid place to land and to stand. Today, in the final moments of John's little letter, we get some expert advice, you could say, from an experienced hiker who will guide us through the shifting scree to stable ground. All through his letter, John has been doing just this. He's been guiding us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leading us to see Jesus clearly, who he is, what he's done, teaching us what is true about God, what is true about us and reminding us all along the way of the difference that makes in how we love each other. And here at the very end, it's like he shouts his final piece of advice 
to us. We who may find ourselves in the middle of shifting scree, he helps us find solid ground. Let's pray as we get into the scripture today. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we open up the last bit of this letter that you gifted to us through your servant John, that you would help us to see clearly and find firm footing. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, all through this Generation Jesus series, we've been focusing on key elements about our identity as Jesus followers. You remember what some of them are? We talked about how the generation of Jesus is spiritually discerning and fiercely loving, strangely fearless because of the love of God, victoriously overcoming because of Jesus, and humbly confident. And today we cap it all off exploring how the generation of Jesus is firmly grounded. Here are the last four verses of 1 John. And as you do, I invite you to listen to how John grounds us in what we know. 1 John, chapter 5, right at the very end, beginning with verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. We know, we know, we know. Did you hear the repetition in there as I was reading it? John is sure that we, you and I, his church, his people, are people. He's convinced that we've already got what we need to stand firm. But our problem is that we often forget what we already know is true. I forget I think you do too. We're forgetful people, right? And so John reminds us. And actually, he does this a lot. I did a quick survey back through the letter of 1 John. There's only five chapters. And do you know, in just these five chapters, John specifically uses the phrase, we know, 16 times. He also uses the phrase, you know, a lot of times as well. But here's just a few of the we knows that we've already heard in the letter so far. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Uh, 2, 5. We know that we are in him. And then on 3, 2. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. How about three fourteen? We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers and sisters. Or 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And then one more, 4.13, we know that we remain in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Do you hear that? We know, we know, we know, we know, and there's many more. Are you picking up what he's laying down? We know. The Holy Spirit wants us to remember, to hold on to, to never let go of what we No, because what we know about Jesus 
is what firmly grounds us in life. Did you hear that? What we know about Jesus firmly grounds us in life, regardless of how crazy and unpredictable and unstable life can be. We know, we know, we know. I resonate with this so much as a pastor. Can I let you in on a little secret? (laughs) Week in, week out, mostly what I do, whether it's on the phone, whether it's walking with someone, whether it's meeting, you know, in a backyard for coffee or responding to a message over messenger. Now for 25 years of pastoral ministry, most of what I do is I help people remember what they already know. I'm either reminding people of what we already know, or if they're a spiritual seeker, I'm helping them discover what we, the church, we who have seen Jesus and follow him, what we already know is true as followers of Jesus. It's really all about helping people remember what we know. It always circles back to this. What we know because of who Jesus is. What we know because of what Jesus has done for us. What we know because God loves us and that changes everything. What we know because we've been forgiven and how that changes our whole perspective on life and what we do and how we live and how we treat one another bringing people back to what we already know, our identity, God's grace, his forgiveness, resurrection, new creation, Jesus, Father, Spirit, everything. What we know is what firmly grounds us, whatever comes. And this is what John is doing here. And you know, just to extend the point, we do the same thing for each other, don't we? I mean, isn't that what following Jesus together is about? Isn't that what walking with each other is about in our spiritual friendships, in our mentoring relationships, as parents, among fellow Christians, as well as with seeking friends? It all comes back to what we know is true because of Jesus. Well, let's dive into these few verses and let's see how they firmly ground us. Back to verse 18. The first thing we see is that we are firmly Grounded in God's protected family. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, John says. The one who was born of God, referring to Jesus kind of cryptically here, comparing it, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. When we get down deep who we are as members of God's family, when we really know the change that this makes, that Jesus has forgiven us and renewed us and covered us and overcome for us, when we really finally understand the protection we have in Jesus, that we are fully safe, that nothing can touch us, that we really cannot be harmed. It's like the things that look like shifting sand suddenly just become solid because we're standing on solid ground. It turns out, Being firmly grounded in God's family means that we can stand up straight and walk right through. And identity is everything to John. If you've been listening, everywhere we look in this letter, he's trying to get us to understand that we are God's kids. And that identity changes everything about us. The way that we respond, the way that we love, the way that we hear, the way that we act, everything has changed. 
Sin, and we've heard this before in a number of times uh, through the First John series, sin no longer defines us. It no longer defines our character. It no longer defines our identity or our behavior. We may still commit sin. That happens. But we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer helpless to do anything about it. Nor do we live under sin's condemnation. No, we live forgiven. So that when we do sin, we confess it to Jesus, knowing that we are forgiven. We get up, we let the Holy Spirit dust us off, and then we keep on living and loving as God's kids. And in the circle of God's family, this means that the falling rocks of shame or the shifting scree of condemnation has no power over us. It's gone. We stand free and forgiven, letting the Holy Spirit show us, yes, where we need to confess, where there are areas we need to grow or we need to grow up or we need to change, for sure. But all in the context of God's grace, his, his love, his perfect love, we're able to live as God's kids, firmly grounded in who we are as members of God's protected family. That's why we're able to remind each other of what we know, that we're members of God's family. This changes how we respond to our spouses, how we respond to an aggravating neighbor, how we think and mull and process our own history as Canadians, or, or maybe how we think and respond to someone online. It changes everything in how we are willing to make healthy habit changes in our own lives, or we're willing to stop doing something. This all comes down to the fact that we're now a member of God's family and everything has changed. Remember who we are. What we know is what firmly grounds us. Second, verse 19, we are firmly grounded under God's gracious leadership. In 519, we read again, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Isn't this just more of the same thing? You know, more of the God's family? Yes, but there's a nuance here. It's like John goes one step further. Now, instead of talking about sin and protection, like the change and the protection we have, he's now talking about control. He's talking about leadership. As children of God, we have come under a new authority. As forgiven people, sin no longer leads our lives. Love does. We march according to a different drum. Because of the overcoming faithfulness of Jesus, we've been wrestled out from under the dominion of the evil one. He no longer has the control he used to have. He no longer has the control he has in other people's lives. And John's point here is quite simple. God's kids now follow God's ways. He said this all over throughout this letter. The change that has happened in us because of what Jesus, Jesus has done helps us now look like Jesus in the way that we love, in the way that we live. We're no longer defined by the ways of the world. We're no longer defined by the ways of thinking about others or practices that harm or ideologies that have set themselves up against God. The world, as it's cast in this sense, which, yes, was loved by God. Jesus died for the world. But there's a sense in which the philosophy of the world, the ways of the world, have actually rejected God rejected his love, rejected his son. And when people come to follow Jesus, then they switch allegiances. They come out from the control of the evil one, and they now are under the authority of a good father. They now follow the ways of God through Jesus, which is ultimately about loving others. Well, this is so, so helpful. 
If you're ever struggling with how to respond, or you're talking to a friend who is wrestling with, what am I to do? I'm feeling confused, or I'm feeling uncertain, or I'm feeling worried, or I'm feeling fearful. We need to remember what we know, that we now live under God's gracious leadership. He is with us. He is for us. He is leading us. We can trust him. We can continue to learn from him and follow him as free people. We're not lost in the dark anymore. Even if we aren't sure what's happening, we know that we are being lovingly guided by our gracious God. And that is a big, big deal. Something we need each other for, to remind each other, especially those times when one of us is down, one of us is struggling. We need each other to say to one another, hey, remember what we know is true. Remember who God is. Remember whose we are. We don't have to get tossed around or thrown down on the ground by guilt or by shame or by sin or by pain or by fear, any of that. Because God's perfect love, which is something we know in Jesus, has driven out and can drive out our fear. We're able to live strangely fearless. Everything we've been seeing so far is captured in some ways in this transition that we've been now changed by this shift in leadership. We now follow a God who is love, but a God who is grace. Well, how does knowing that, how does knowing that we are now under this new leadership, this gracious leadership of God. How does that change us? Today, I invited Crystal Anderson to talk with me about the truth of God's grace has changed her. Crystal, thanks for joining me today. Uh, My opening question is this. When you were growing up, how did you understand God's grace? We were, I was taught that you accept Jesus into your life and you're saved, you know, pretty basic. Jesus died on the cross, taking all the sin and he rose from the grave. And so, and I feel like that, I mean, I know that that's still true, but there was always a but factor. So, but you have to obey him, but there's all these rules to follow, you know, cause when you're young, it's interesting to grow up a Christian because you want answers to your questions, right? What does God think about this and that? And what's right and wrong. And I mean, any uh, church body or parent wants to teach their children morals, right? You want to know right and wrong and you want to have the answers. So it sort of became this legalistic understanding of you're saved by grace, but do this and this and this, and don't do this and this and this, you know, you have to, you have to be good. Right. And if you, if you sin, you have to ask Jesus to forgive you. Um, So it was kind of conditional. My understanding was that it was conditional grace, uh, And, and so growing up with that, there's always this fear of, I have to be really, really good or else, you know, what if, what if I don't ask Jesus to forgive me for telling that little white lie? And then I go to bed and he comes back, then what? And it was this kind of this understanding, like, well, then you're lost, like too bad for you. You didn't ask Jesus to forgive you. 
So it's uh, living like that is not a very joy filled no. life. <laughs> no, you and I, um, when we've talked before, Crystal, I know you and I share some similar background in that um, it's like uh, what you said, we really were told we're saved by grace, but it was almost as though we now need to make sure that we finish what God has started with, we never say it this way, but with good works or by keeping the rules or by not doing anything wrong. And it bred a kind of insecurity in us. One of the things we see in here today at the finishing of first John is how um, there's a change in us that really does result in us loving others. Like, like those who are born of God don't continue to sin. And John talks about that, but there's a protection. There's a, a sense in which we're covered when we do sin, we have an advocate. We're already loved. We're already covered. And yeah. somehow, um, I think both you and I, somehow that was missed. And so as a result, um, there can be a real insecurity that God sort of loves us, but we better, we better act right or he won't. And, and that, that can have profound effects on, you know, our, our lives. Um, but I know, and I was so struck one day last year, you and I, talked about this in, in the parking lot at the church building. Um, somewhere along the way, just in the last few years, you came to a new understanding of God's grace. Can you talk about that and the change that that's made in your life? Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy because it's profound. Um, I uh, basically grew up my whole life a Christian. You know, I never really swayed away from that or anything. Uh, not that I haven't struggled, but I've always believed in Jesus. And uh, so it was about a year ago now, and it was one of the sermons that you had preached online. And I don't, honestly, I don't remember anything else about the sermon. It was just, you had said the phrase, you said something, something, but his grace comes first but God's grace comes first. And it was some sort of phrase of that God's grace is first. And it really, really struck me. Wow. His grace really is first. And it was like all of those fear-based things that I had believed were just brought to light as not true, because I realized that, you know, if God's grace is conditional, if if, uh, you know, if I, if I accept Jesus and I become a Christian, but I have to live up to all these rules in order to be saved, in order to continue to be saved, then Jesus isn't enough because I'm the one who's earning my salvation. And that's just what I realized. Like, there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. Nothing at all. Like, I can never be good enough. Um, I can, you know, I can try and try to do all these things and be as good as I can. And I'm still going to make mistakes. I mean, I'm a human being. And so it was really incredible. And I think God had just been working on me for years and years and years and years, uh, to come to that understanding. I probably wasn't ready for that understanding before just of how ingrained, all of these things were in me. Uh, I wasn't ready to hear it, but it just 
God really spoke to me when you said that, that his grace is first. And I was like, it really is. It really is first. And so that is kind of a relief and it allows me to just love and embrace uh, who Jesus is and to live my life as a testimony to him, but not under fear of doing the wrong thing, but yeah. just under like, to be honest, look, I don't have all the answers and yeah, I do mess up. I'm not perfect. And, uh, and that's okay. It links us actually, uh, it, it's such a, your story links us to so many things we've been hearing in first John, actually like the perfect love that drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah. And that, that when we come to understand God's grace, we can be fearless before God. Like we're not cowering and wondering if, oh my goodness, maybe today's the day when God decides I've had enough of you or whatever. Um, it also connects to the, the, just the knowledge we have that Jesus has already overcome for us. He's been faithful for us. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll mess up. Yes, we'll sin. But we're not constantly on the chopping block because of that. And the way you describe it, um, you know, in your past conversation and now is it changes then our daily experience then. We're not walking in insecurity anymore. There's a sense of, 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 of you know, security, strength, uh, just, a, I don't know, um, something solid about that. Yeah, I think it changes. It does a huge change for our witness to people who don't believe in Jesus as well. Because before the way I used to think it was like, okay, so somebody has to accept Jesus, but then they have to live up to this, you know, they have to fall, you know, well, as soon as the second they accept Jesus, you know, they got to get rid of all that old past and can't go back to that and have to live under all these rules, which is completely counter scriptural you know, it's the whole reason Jesus came is because there were all these rules and nobody could possibly live up to them. And uh, so it just, it kind of gives the freedom to, to just show love and grace to people without a condition. You know, it's not, well, we'll accept you, but you got to start living, you know, as you have to be as good as we are, right? Right. And that, that kind of belief and that kind of attitude, I think really turns people away from the church and it really turns people away from, from Jesus. Um, and he doesn't want people to turn away from him. He wants people to turn to him. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy because it's such a performance-based religion and it's exactly yeah. what Jesus was railing against. And the crazy yeah. thing is, of course, and we both know this, that grace really does change us like it does have an effect on like you just said the way we love others it does have an effect on those old patterns and and hurts and but but somehow because god's grace is always first it's not um us trying to measure up it's us receiving what christ has already done and you know that changes everything like it it's, it's not that we don't care about, you know, sin or we don't care about the way people live that hurt themselves or hurt others, but somehow the change that God brings is through grace and love, not through demand and performance. What a difference. Exactly. 
And it really made me realize too, that when somebody does enter a relationship with Jesus, it's not up to me to change that person's heart. It's not up to me to change their morals. It's not up to me to change their beliefs, their lifestyle. Um, Jesus does the work in their lives. And I, when I look back on my life and how I've changed and grown, and I've been a Christian almost all my life, you know, some things that I have come to understand now, I wasn't ready for to be taught that lesson 10 years ago or five years ago. And so it's, it's really like this incredible feeling of freedom that not only I don't have to live up to this bar or pretend to live up to this bar, but I can be free to express the love and grace of God without conditioning on others to say, you have to live up to this bar too. It's like, no, you just come and seek the truth, seek Jesus and oh. he'll do the work, you know, he'll do the work. I don't yeah, have to place that's those right. expectations. And he'll do it, as you said, in his time, which yeah. God knows what we truly need and often works in us and in others in quite a different time frame than you and I would have. We would, yeah. we would look at a certain thing in our lives or in someone else and say, well, that's the thing God needs to address. Whereas God's saying, I'll get to that. <laughs> you know, I got something else. I, wanna, I want this person to know how loved they are, for example, before yeah. I even address this other thing. Or, you know, um, yeah. well... That's beautiful, Crystal. I think that you've said a number of things today that I hope all of us can grab a hold of, that we really can live secure. We really can love others, point people to Jesus and trust that he's at work in our lives, but also in the world around us and the lives of those around us. And, and it's because, as you've said and reminded us today, that well, God's grace really is first. So thank you, Crystal, for sharing with us today. You're welcome. We are firmly grounded under God's gracious leadership. Third, verse 20, we are firmly grounded through God's perfect son. In some ways, verse 20 is like a summary of so many things John has already said. We also know the son of God has come and given us understanding. Jesus has revealed who God is to us so that we know him who is true, right? And we are in him who is true. There's that fellowship, that relationship with God by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, is the true God and eternal life. John's coming down to the tip of the spear here. When he finishes, he basically says it really is all about Jesus. We rise and fall on Jesus because Jesus fell and rose for us. We know God because we know Jesus. In fact, it's only through Jesus, it's only through his life and his ministry and his teaching and his death and resurrection and ascension, it's only through him that we can even know the true God at all. He has revealed them and he's made our relationship with him possible. He's given us life, which then alters the very way that we live now as, well, his kids. It's the same thing over and over again. And John is saying, we know this. We know this. Remember what we already know. We know Jesus. We know who we are. And nothing grounds us more than this. Jesus, who is the true God, who is eternal life. And because of this, we can truly live now. You know, every day when I check my email, I get an email from my friend, 
Carl Erickson, our friend Carl Erickson. He does wonderful reflections, uh, a lot of them sourced by our mutual um, saint friend, Brennan Manning, and he shares a lot of stuff. But in, in the email he sent a few days ago, I asked him permission to share this. He said something wonderful that I think we need to hear today. This is what Carl said. He said, life is to be lived, not endured. And even if we've screwed up horribly, which we all have, step one, let her go. Step two, let her go. And of course, step three, let her go. Because when you quit straining so hard to be good, he makes you feel good and look good. And as you begin seeing yourself more clearly, and as I've been saying lately, hey, I make this mask look good. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. I love it. <laughs> Quit straining so hard to be good. It's remembering that Jesus has not only been good to us, he's been good for us. And we're defined by that now. Our life is defined by the truth of who he is. We don't have to Quit straining. Let her go. Let Jesus lead. He's been so good to us. He's been so good for us. We are firmly grounded in God's perfect son, Jesus, who keeps us, who holds us, who gives us something to stand on and leads us through the screen. Remember, friends, we're not standing on an idea. We're not standing on an ideology or a myth or some perspective or or some organized piece of religion that will be exposed as false someday, or some philosophy that will fail to satisfy. That is not what we're standing on. We're standing on the firmest ground there is, on Jesus Christ himself, the perfect Son of God, who is eternal life, who came from the Father to be one of us, to reveal God to us so that we can know him truly, to renew his ruined world through his death and resurrection to set our lives now and into the future with his goodness and his grace and remembering this to hold on to what we know knowing jesus who is true knowing jesus who is eternal life he's the anchor he's the foundation he's the firm footing well let's get practical here at the end how do we respond to this how do we Respond to what we know. Two things. The first thing is is that we need, as followers of Jesus or as people exploring faith, we need to keep coming back to what we know is true. We need to be people who are constantly remembering, learning, letting the Holy Spirit teach us more about who Jesus is, who God is, through the living Word of God. We need to keep coming back to what we know, the truth of who Jesus is. See, to say we know requires that we know. And a lot of times we've either forgotten or, for some of us, we actually haven't learned it yet. Now, that could sound contradictory as though, well, how are you saying I know something? No, no. Remember, when we say we know, There's times when we acknowledge that there may be something that my community knows, that we know as the church, that we know as the people of God, that I may have yet to learn. And we keep coming back to that as the people of God, as the children of God. We learn from each other. We learn from brothers and sisters down through the centuries. We learn through prayer. We we discover what we know 
as the people of God, not as some kind of truth that we possess arrogantly, but rather a humble recognition that truth has been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to keep coming back to what we know. And so I ask you this question. Do you have a practical, regular, consistent way that you come back to what we know? I'm talking about habits, about practices, regular rhythms that are in your life that bring you back to what we know is true. Do you have them? What are they? We need them. I, I offer that to to spark your thinking because we need to have something that keeps bringing us back. The second thing is, is that we need to keep reminding each other of what is true. We need to keep reminding each other of who we are because of who Jesus is. As we walk together, as we listen to each other, as we pray for one another, it all comes back to who we are. It all comes back to who Jesus is. And when we remind one another or challenge one another or encourage one another or even correct one another, when we're discipling each other or inspiring each other or empowering each other, we're really, when it comes right down to it, reminding each other of what we already know is true. And we need each other for this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If there's anything that has been revealed to us through this time of isolation and COVID, it is that we need each other. And we need to be intentional about walking together, finding that partner, that spiritual friend, calling another brother or sister, somehow in conversation, being intentional about reminding each other of what is true. And so my question for you is a question I've been asking for a while, and I'll keep asking it, kind of like John does in this letter, because I want us to hear it, and that is this, who are you walking with? Who is it? Not vague generalities, but like the name of the person that you are walking with in spiritual friendship or as a mentor, as a friend. Who are they? And how are you going to remind them this week? gently, inspiringly, encouragingly of what we know is true. Well, almost done, but John's not quite done because kind of like that parent who just cannot resist shouting that last piece of advice from the porch as the kids are kind of disappearing around the corner, I feel like this is what John does here at the end because he kind of randomly wraps up everything he's been saying in this book by saying, Dear children! Keep yourselves from idols, which you kind of think, what? What are you talking about? Because if you've been following on letters so far, far, there's been no mention of idols at all, like nothing. It's like nothing he's talked about. And you're like, did I, what? Did I miss something? Did you talk about idols somewhere? What are you talking? Oh, we've lost him. He's gone back inside already. John doesn't mention a single thing about idolatry in this letter so far. So why does he shout it right here at the end? Well, it's true that John's writing to a church that's likely located in the city, ancient city of Ephesus, which was chock full of idolatry and idolatrous temples and weird sex cults and strange things going on. If you think it's tough to raise kids in today's culture and keep their minds and hearts on Jesus, it's nothing compared to what it had been like for this first century church in Ephesus. And so maybe... 
keep yourselves from idols. It's like how they said goodbye to their kids when they went off to school. I don't know, but it could be very practical advice for someone who's tempted as they're wandering along to maybe, hey, let's, you know, okay. But, but actually, John, considering how relentless he's been through this letter about the two things that he over and over over again, remember what the two are, we can only know God through Jesus and children of God love like God. That's the two things he goes on and on and on about. It would make sense that this little cryptic message at the end actually is connected to that. Well, what is idolatry? It's simply this, letting anything at all, whether that's a little statue or a big car or societal status or sex or money or power, all those things, ideology, you name it, anything at all, either displace or distract us from the truth and primacy of who God is. Anything. We've talked about this metaphorically and otherwise. People worship lots of different idols, right? And wow, if you want to tick people off, you mention that to them. Idolatry is a touchy subject. John's been hammering away on this in the context of a, a brand of false prophets and antichrists who have been actually trying to demand and obscure who God, or deny, sorry, and obscure who God is by diminishing Jesus, right? By saying, ah, we don't really need Jesus to be in fellowship with God, and you don't really need to love those guys to be, you know, right with God. All the things that these false prophets have been saying, and though he hasn't made that connection explicit through the letter, what he's essentially maybe saying here at the end is, that is idolatry. He wants them to be prepared, to keep away from anything that would lead them away from Jesus. And so, dear children, keep yourselves from idols can be heard kind of like mom from the porch shouting after the kids as they're leaving on that journey. Hey, kids, whatever comes, you know, whatever you face, whatever you, wherever you go, remember who you are, dear children, and stay true to Jesus. The negative of that would be keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from anything that would pull you away. Any lie that would lull you into complacency. Anything that would obscure the truth of who Jesus is. Just keep away from it. Stray true to Jesus as the dear children of God. Because the ground is going to shift. You know? The scree is suddenly going to come loose. And the trail is going to look confusing. And the way ahead is going to be uncertain. And so John here at the end just says, stay true to Jesus. Keep fixed on him. Stay true to what we know, to who we are because of God's grace, because of Jesus' love, because of the Spirit living in us. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Stay true to the one who loves you, who is with you, and who is the firm ground we stand on as we follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for leading us through the scree. Today I pray for each one of us, particularly those who are struggling with the uncertainty, who are wrestling with what's going on in the world, what's going on in their families, what's going on with their health, who are feeling that that sense that the ground itself is shifting. And I pray today by your Spirit that each one of us would remember, celebrate, hold on to what we know is true because of you. 
Holy Spirit, take that and sink it into us deep so that we will truly be firmly grounded in you and as your church moving forward. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.